Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to another edition of On The Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On today's convo, it's the moment that we've all been waiting for, relishing, rubbing our hands with glee, half-time in this season's Champions League group stage. At this point, which team has one hand on the trophy? and which is headed for an early bath. We'll also try and second-guess that most tantalising of groups, the one that sees Scousers, Milanese and Portuguesers vying for the top spot. And can Claude Puel turn things around at losing San Etienne or is he a sacked coach walking or waiting? Let's start with perhaps the... Game of the week in the Champions League. Uh, others might have different views, Andy, but Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid. That was drama and a half all the way through. It, it was. And I think the, the drama in Madrid was only part of it because the the way the whole group is developing is is very interesting. I think everyone looked at this group before between uh, Liverpool, Atletico, Porto and, and, and Milan and thought... You know there are there are no weak teams. It's it's it's, it's pretty tight, but the, the Liverpool winner at Atletico um, may not have been one hundred percent deserved, but it's absolutely vital Crucial. in the in, in the way that the group is 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 working. Now, I've always felt that Liverpool would get out of this group, but now there's such a gap between them and the rest, five points gap in in, in fact with. Um, Porto, of course, winning at, um, at home to, to, to Milan as well, a game that I was at. Um, it, it just means that the, the Liverpool are going to run away with the group and ev- everything else is is, is kind of polarised, really. So it makes everything from this point in really, really tight. It, I, I mean, I, I'm not even sure if you can quite say yet, having lost three out of three, Milan are completely out of it. I think they're out of qualifying automatically, um, but they're not out of getting into the Europa League. And, you know, there is, that's that's the thing that we've not really talked about in the group because we're still talking about the qualification place or the second qualification place, I should say, behind Liverpool. The fact is that Europa League is is a prize to some extent in, in this group because there's going to be one really big club totally missing out on European football after after Christmas. Going back to Atletico, I was actually relatively buoyed. I thought Liverpool would go to, to Madrid and win. But the, the, the reason I thought that is because Atletico had not been great in the Champions League for a while now. Mm. Um, the way they went out last season... Uh, <laughs> They've not started this season very well. The way they went out in the Champions League, the way they went out last season um, to Chelsea, they were absolutely outclassed, particularly in the second leg um, at Stamford Bridge. And 
you know, the last time they beat good opposition was when they beat Liverpool in 2020, which, as we know, was an extraordinary second leg. And they lost that game in 90 minutes before going on to win it in, in extra time. And they were absolutely battered for a lot of it, absolutely hanging on by their fingernails. Um, I think you have to applaud Diego Simeone for constructing this new team that he has at Atletico. But there's there's strong evidence that they haven't got to group, groups of the Champions League now. And because it's all Simeone, I think sometimes people... Um, casual observers or people from a distance look at the 2014 and 2016 teams and think, oh, well, it's, it's the same team. It's not. It's a completely different team, the team they have now. And they're just getting used to doing stuff in the Champions League. So for them to give what was globally a good performance, take away, I think, the first, what, 15 minutes, um, bearing in mind the, the handicap of losing Griezmann in the second half as well. Um, was that deserved, do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, it was yeah. sent, sent off. off for those who don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, deserved. the way... It's one of those that often a lot of pundits don't like because it's not intentional. And, I, and it really bugs me because there's nothing in the rules of the game about uh, that having to be intentional. It's annoying, and, but it's clear, isn't it? And the thing yeah. that... The phrase that always puts to, always put to me by a referee who I would ask about these things is that at the end of the day, as a footballer, you are responsible for where your limbs end up. And basically, if you end up booting someone with studs in the face, then you got to go. Like, you're clearly endangering the safety of that player. Firmino didn't even duck. I mean, he's he's, no. ju- he's just at his normal. Which I guess is what height. saved Ibra, because uh, yeah. there was a little bit of a duck with the Porto player. I mean, we'll get on that in a moment. But yeah, I, 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 Ibra, I, think, I thought was lucky not to go there. I think he was lucky. I think the raising of his boots and the slight ducking yeah. of Chancellor Mbemba was what meant he left the pitch with a massive bandage on his head. Really, um, but yeah, getting kicked in the head by Zlatan is is is, is no fun. Uh, the 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 thing about Atletico going going back to them though is in this game they they played some pretty pleasing football. There it was the first time that Griezmann and Joao Felix had started a game together. They looked like they can play together and, and they looked like they can do some some special stuff together. And it seemed like Joao Felix, who I know you're a massive fan I love of, him. of, yeah. of he it felt like to me like for that bit in the first half he unlocked another level of of Griezmann because it's the best that Griezmann's played since he's been back at Atletico. Yeah, I, I was watching this thinking, you know, this is, it just looks right with Griezmann in the Atleti shirt in the way it never did at Barcelona. But then, of course, it hasn't so far in the league. I mean, it, it, yeah. this is the thing. This was the first game when he was like, oh, yeah, yes, yes, it works now. But... I feel like we've said we've. Said, I do apologise to our dear listeners. If you ha- if your memory is as good as mine, dear listener, <laughs> then you will know. <laughs> then you will know that I think we've spoken about this before in the pod, perhaps more than once. But I did think Atleti just looked a lot better when they were attacking here. They when when they when they weren't when they went till nil down. I went. You know what? We have to go for it now. It looked like it suited the team better. And I know it's a, it's a tired old discussion about whether they need to evolve more under Simeone or whether actually this is now a fundamentally attacking lineup when you look at it. Mm. And that maybe that needs to be reflected more in their approach to the game. Because I thought it was frustrating when they actually went, okay, we're going to attack now because we kind of have to because we're 2-0 down at home. They looked a lot better. And you do start wondering, why is that not the approach all the time? I know game states change the flow of things. 
But I do feel like if you have a team, again, with Griezmann and Joao Felix up front, you've got Rodrigo de Paul kind of pulling the strings, you know, Carrasco and Lamar running around. Like, this is a really attacking lineup. Maybe they should attack more. I don't know, Andy. They, they, they can't defend deep anymore. That was always their thing. And going back to that Liverpool game in, in 2020, 2020. That's a rear guard action as well. So Lash has got a point there, it, it, it was, but Oblak saved them time and time and, and, and time again. It, it was very much like their 2016 semi-final second leg against Bayern, where they just, I, I think if Liverpool or Bayern, speaking about those two games, played those games another 100 times, they'd win like 98, 99. Um, it, it was just, it, it wasn't great defending. It wasn't a great collective defensive performance. Otherwise, <laughs> neither of those teams would have got so many efforts on goal. It was just sheer bloody mindedness, which is what we come to associate with Atletico. But um, yeah, I, I, they, so, they, they defended. But, they defended so deeply in the first part of, of the game this week. It really didn't help them at and, all. And this is an area where. I think fully uh, reintegrating uh, Griezmann into the team might help them because if they're not going to sit back as much, uh, obviously you want to push up a bit, but then you need forwards who will hassle the opponents a little bit. And he does True. get through the work, Griezmann, does. in a way that Luis Suarez, you know, God bless him, doesn't really have the legs for anymore. I can't. So Suarez moving on to more of an impact uh, role, uh, which is the logical thing to do with him, I think, at this stage of his career. There's a, there's a thought for you. Um Prime Griezmann and Prime Suarez together. I mean, that would be fun, wouldn't it? That would have been terrific. But, you know, I'm very interested in seeing uh, still quite good Griezmann with, hopefully, at some point, Prime Joao Felix. Yeah. Because he remains an incredibly frustrating mm. guy. Because, again, this was another game where you just saw flashes of a truly special player there. Mm. And, and, and it does... You know, he's, 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 he's so which one's the frustrating player, Griezmann or Joao Felix? Uh, Felix for me, because really? well, well, because he doesn't do it consistently enough. Because yeah, you see what's youngster. there. He's still developing, isn't he? He's been there for over two years now. I mean, I know he's still young, but I, I was kind of hoping he'd be slightly further down the line at this point. But then, to what extent is that? Because it's the style doesn't allow him that many chances. I mean, I, I think it's underappreciated that it's difficult to be an attacking player in a team that doesn't get forward as often as some of the other teams do because you don't have that many chances to, to do stuff. Well, how long has it taken? Uh, Lamar, who had a terrific match again, he's become what At Atletico always wanted him to, to, to be. But it's taken him a really long time to get there. Sometimes really it's like, time. you know in football, there are late developers, mm. um, some people who get it straight away and fire away. Some of those great yeah. youngsters like Phil Foden. Yeah, we, mm. we understand that. But for a lot of other people, the development process does take its time. And I think it's developing to play in the Atletico way as well. Yeah. It's, it's something, that, something that's very different. I mean, the, 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 the interesting thing is... you want Joao Felix to develop into playing the Atletico way, though? It would no, be my no, question. But, 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 <laughs> I think if he gets into the place where Lamar is, yeah. where he can flourish in that team, I, I think, you know, you don't have to completely... You don't have to completely change change your ways. You don't have to bin what got you there in the first place. It is difficult. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But bear in mind, a short time ago, um, people were talking about binning Lamar off on loan to Wolves or whatever. And uh, look, Maybe, look at well, him now. He's he's one of the the champions of Spain's best players. Good point. And 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 closer to home with Liverpool, uh, you look at uh, is it Jordan Henderson that they were going to try and get rid of at one point. Mm. It turns out today. Mm to be one of the most vital of the players. In that position that he plays in, I think it takes a little bit of maturity. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you can say that. 
Um, and it, it, it does take a, a bit of perseverance. I think as, as well with, with Joao Felix, the first half of last season, he was fantastic. Um, and he got injured though. That was a problem, the, wasn't the, it? The COVID actually. Yeah. COVID really, really took it out of him. Mm. And I think if, I mean, I've, I've no idea if he suffered from long COVID. It didn't mm. look right for a long time is, is all I would say. Mm. And I think to come back into the way that Atletico want to play after having a, a very draining illness, as well as having your your rhythm interrupted when you're in the form of your life, I think is 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 super super difficult. I mean, elsewhere in 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 this group, I was about I'll, to say, Andy. I was about to say you were in Portugal. As well. <laughs> as, as I, was, I want to talk. I want to hear you talk about Porto because this seemed like it was an interesting game that I didn't get to watch. Well, I, th- I think what's interesting is when you look at this group, you think of um, Atletico being the the dogs of war. Because again, we still think of them as that 2014 and 2016 team. What I think is really interesting when you go back to, I'll talk about the Milan game in a minute, but when you go back to the first game in which Porto actually outplay Atletico at the Wanda Metropolitano, um, you know, they dominate, you could argue to an extent that, say, the first 20 minutes, Liverpool didn't manage to do in, in, in Madrid. Yeah, you know, yeah, they were they're, they're, they're the better team. Okay. And I think what's interesting is that, I've, I've talked about it time and again on here, I'm sure, the fact that Porto and Sergio Conceição are super aggressive and they they play a much more physical, both in terms of engagement and in terms of getting around the pitch sort of football than Portuguese teams do mainly. I mean, they, they absolutely ran all over Milan, but it makes them a really interesting match for for this Atletico team. They do, and, and they are a bit of an outlier in that sense, because what mm. we often see with teams from the, with all due respect to, to the Portuguese league, the sort of slightly uh, smaller European leagues, not the, not the big ones yeah. we haven't talked about, what we often see when the top teams from those leagues get into the Champions League is that they're not used to defending. <laughs> they're not used to having to defend as much as they do and they meet the bid boys. That isn't, that's never been true with Porto. Like, there's a real history and culture there of being really really combative which is funny why they went completely missing against Liverpool in the middle game yeah. they've they've given two great performances that either side of a really woeful one but there were uh, some individual mistakes were, in there that was none to do with work rate really there yeah. was just uh, boneheadedness that crept in but yeah, really they're usually very very competitive you see this is the interesting drama now that we're at the halfway point we know what awaits them um, for the uh, rest of the group stages and the question mark that you posed at the very beginning okay Liverpool's run away with it out of the three that are left in it two are not going to get through yeah. which are the two on what on based on Sorry, just one quick point, Lars. Based on the reflection over the games of last season, what you're saying to us about why they played this way or why they didn't play this way, now I wonder whether we should just forget about Liverpool and think about how they're going to play against each other, those three teams now. I think the assumption that Atletico are going to do it is is just an assumption. I think you look at that match day six um, when the two uh, Porto and Atletico play in Porto. I think if, if it's still live by then it's, it's on. I, I think it's, it's really interesting because, you know, we, we talk about that work rate and funnily enough, we talk about adapting to Simeone. I think you have to adapt to Concisau as well. I mean, Luis Diaz, who of course was joint top scorer in the Copa America last summer, playing absolutely brilliantly, um, scored the winner in the middle of a brilliant performance mm-hmm. against Milan. He was fantastic. 
he presses like a demon. He wasn't a nailed-on starter when he arrived. He was dripped in really gradually, and that's what Porto and Conceição tend to do. They tend they're doing it with uh, Pepe, who came over from uh, South America. Not that one, not 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 Pepe, but Pepe, who um, came over from Grêmio, the winger. Um, he's only getting little cameos at the moment. Mediterrani, who was the, their man of the match on the night. Um, he didn't start at the beginning of last season. And despite scoring that brilliant goal against Manchester City in the, the Champions League, Luis Diaz was kind of used as a bit of a, a pinch hitter. Whereas now, as well as being himself and adding that little bit of extra flair, he does exactly all the stuff off the ball that Concesao wants him to do. So I think the philosophies of Porto and um Atleti are actually a lot closer than people would mm. believe. And I, I I think that'll be such an exciting match if it's still alive. Milan, I think, not just on the basis of the performance, we can forget how inexperienced they are at this level, this current set of players. And you can just count that. They, they were terrible. I understand they've got a lot of injuries mm. at the moment, but they could have easily lost this game through a 4-0. Yeah, because I was about to say... I only saw the highlights and I'm looking at the numbers right now and it looks like Porto wiped the floor with them, really. So we are at the halfway stage of the Champions League group <laughs> stages and beyond group, this exciting group B that we've been talking about, what about the other groups now? Is it... Would you, with either of you... Uh, care to give an insight into who might make it through um, how this next uh, stage is going to develop B- Bayern Munich well. good good yeah <laughs> let's well, go with that Bayern enough. Munich that good at the football one. that was uh, an underarm one but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah Lars who, who are your favourites at, at this point Bayern Munich good I just said <laughs> <laughs> this is where I'm no I, 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 they, they, the look, they look like the best, the best team in Europe to me mm. but again you, you, you've been you've been travelling around Andy mm. Uh, you, you've been to you've been to Lisbon and you saw Bayern Munich be good. They're terrifying. Yeah. They are absolutely terrifying. And they want to win it. They want to win it. Yeah, they they they, they do. And what I think is so impressive about them, it, it was just a a follow on really from last weekend against Leverkusen, where um, for 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 those who might have missed it, they were five nil up in thirty seven minutes. Um, the, the 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 last four of those goals scored in a, a seven minute spell, and um, it's mad, isn't th- it? They're just even against good opposition, and no one's saying that Leverkusen or Benfica are as good as them, but they are good teams yeah. um, who have had good starts to the season, and Bayern just treat them in such a a pitiless way really. There's clearly such incredible competition for places. You look at Komar and um, Zabitzer coming into the starting lineup yesterday. And, you know, it's, it's Komar's place, I suppose, the Estadio de Luz. He scored um, the Champions League winner there um, in, the, in the final against PSG. He had a, a fantastic game last night when people have been talking recently about um, his contract situation, um, are Bayern maybe positioning themselves to, to, to bin him whether he's playing for a move or whether he's playing to get exactly the money he wants out of the new contract, he's playing for something because he, he was uh, he, he played better than I've seen him play in a long time. The fact that when the game was still nil-nil going into the last 25 minutes, they brought off Pavar and on um, Serge Gnabry. I mean, that, that is... 
that's a big move. <laughs> I, I think when, when, when you're looking at an away game against good opposition in a stadium full of 55,000 fans who are noisy. Why, and, why is it a big move? Well, take, 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 taking off a, in an away, in an away game, taking off a fullback and sticking on a winger. And a very defensively minded fullback But as all well. that tells you is that they've decided to shift the focus into attack, doesn't it? It, it, it does, uh, but they were but already, they were already yeah, knocking right? on the door. But, but and play, they've, just yeah. gone, they've just gone, you know what, we're going to use a sledgehammer to, 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 to crack this nut. Playing let's go for it. Serge Gnabry as a sort of ersatz right back in, a, in an away game in the Champions League is a pretty rogue move. I mean, there's a sort of Roberto Martinez levels of ambition here, but, you know, it, it works out. Well, of course, there was no Nagelsmann, so are we, are we saying... Top Muller's oh, well, the, the, I'm the sure ultimate he was, supply team. I'm sure yeah. he was on the on the Discord <laughs> ch- chatting or whatever. What's the trendy message app he uses? I don't know. I, I wonder what sort of what sort Telegram. of emoji comes with. Uh, yeah, yeah. But maybe the Benfica Eagle was playing for the other team <laughs> and uh, brought, brought him down something on his on it on his ankle. But, but I, I just wonder what sort of emoji comes with unleash Serge now. <laughs> but, mean, but another big story from this game, I thought, was big big performance by Leroy Sané, who's mm. who's really starting to get there. And that is important for him, of course, but it's important for Bayern. It's taken its time, hasn't it? Because, you know, uh, most of last season, I just saw him out of sorts slightly. Yeah. He didn't look like he fitted mm. into that squad at but all. It's, it's, it's funny the way that Nagelsmann has dealt with that, has said what, what he needs is a bit of TLC mm. and the fans are not getting on his back and we're going to give that to him. And Zane has responded to that. Not only was he brilliant in the front third, last night and of course he opened the scoring with that fantastic free kick and there was a bit of I'm sure it brought Benfica fans out in cold sweats because there was a bit of Cristiano Ronaldo to it you know the, a bit of like you know up and under dip to it it's a terrific goal and the, the thing that really struck me though is um, a bit during the first half where Benfica who you know when they had the opportunity to attack they they, they, they took it and they created some chances Manuel Neuer made some good saves but um, Zane came and defended and got the ball back a couple of times hmm. and that was what he was torn out very publicly yeah, he never used to do that Carl Heinz Rummenigger <laughs> for not doing last season exactly he never used to do that he needs to smile more or show more passion I mean I'm not his mum but I'm telling you now right. what it looks like what it looks like is nah he's not that bothered and when he loses the ball his head goes down you're thinking why aren't you chasing back to try and recover the ball that's that maybe, kind of thing. That's maybe has that changed that has changed yeah. and another thing to add to the pile of things that impressed me about Bayern Munich in this game was that there was no Goretzka, which again is one of those things ahead of the season you would have thought, and I think I said this on this pod, their first 11 is strong, but the depth isn't really there. But then they, they went and signed Sabitzer, so no Goretzka. Uh, Sabitzer comes into midfield and looks good. Like He slots right in and looks like he, he's good there. So do, do we think that Bayern have got the edge over City simply because we don't trust Guardiola to do anything crazy. Because like, that, would be the, that would be the short version, yeah. Because <laughs> City's performance this week was super impressive, that win at Club Brugger. And I know mm. people will say, oh, well, it's Club Brugger. But realistically, Brugger have got some really good results against some big teams in the last couple of seasons in the Champions League, including, of course holding PSG on the first Being match day significantly better than PSG in that game as well. Yeah. No, th- no, this was quietly impressive by Man City, but I think it- it's happened so many times now, the sort of the, the inexplicable City wobble in the c- knockout stages of the Champions League, that even if it's completely irrational and weird, you just kind of have to factor it in mm. when, when you're looking at it now, I think. I'm not saying they can't win it. Obviously they can. Mm. Uh, but 
But if the final final was tomorrow between them and Bayern, you'd, you'd back Bayern. So, so basically, you don't believe that City are going to win it until they do win it. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> exactly right. I, I, I feel yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I certainly gonna, feel that way. It's never about the talent. It's not about the talent that they they, they have. But I just I just wonder in those knockout games, particularly, does the role that Phil Foden is is growing to embrace? Does that help them open teams up in 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 tight games and good teams up in tight games, Lars? It might. I'm, just, I'm really intrigued to see how Grealish will work out in these settings. Because what I feel sometimes with City, because everyone is completely subservient to the system, yeah. sometimes when they do come up against the very best in these very tense, nervy, tight games, and the system kind of stops working a little bit, sometimes they need someone to just do something. You know, someone they they need someone to. I know, I know what your system is, Pep. I know I'm meant to. I'm just going to go past a few people here and see what happens. Mm. You know, sometimes they need that bit of spontaneity, which I think because everything is about uh, Pep's grand plan. And I'm not knocking it because, good lord, their results have been incredible the last few years. But but I do think the personalities that sort of go, you know, they almost need a Sergio Ramos type to just sort of. Sod this! I'm gonna I'm gonna go do so. Maybe that's Sergio Ramos, not the best example, but someone who is a who who's a leader because everything is completely subservient to Pep Guardiola's system. And I'm not knocking the system; it's been wildly successful for them in these really tight and touchy games when everything is on the line. Sometimes you just want someone to to go rogue and do something a little bit different and break the pattern and inject some anarchy and and, and take charge and take in, in responsibility on an individual level. Somebody like Sergio Ramos um, <laughs> to instill well, some well, anarchy. Well, he, into he, the seems, he seems a little underemployed at the someone moment. Someone to unleash the madness. Because um, we haven't talked about PSG's chances here. Are we ruling them out? What the, you know? You yes. know what? Uh, yes, <laughs> that, that's that's interesting, Lars. Because just, you I can would clip say, this, and you know, I thought this have was at a, me yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah they will you know, do. We will do. You know what? There's there's a, a huge part of common sense me that says I agree with you that um, PSG are simply not enough of a a unit to win this. But I, I I draw your attention to the fact that despite being called the Champions League, this is a cup competition. Once we 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 get beyond. Um, January and into February, exactly. And I, I just look at the games of not just Paris Saint-Germain, actually Manchester United this week. Um, PSG probably should have lost to Leipzig. Um, United were not that far away from losing to Atalanta. Both of whom are good but not quite Elite opposition, mm. it's sort of A to A minus kind of teams, I would but say. With, 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 with a lot, them, though, with a lot of talent, with with talent that you know, if if you're beaten by Leipzig or Atalanta, is is nothing to be ashamed of. Having said that, I think the fact that they managed to prevail PSG and United in in those games says something. Not about their coaching, not about their collective but just simply about their individual quality. And sometimes it is just about their individual quality. So Mbappe performing really quite excellently, apart from that penalty cuffed over the top, and that didn't really matter because, as it turned out, they, they, they won the game anyway. And then you look at... And, and it, it still feels like Pochettino has got loads to do, so much to do. And obviously on the on the ramble and everyone else... else Elsewhere has been talking about Solskjaer and where he's at at the moment. Or where he's and, going. And he, he has been massively helped out by by a couple of his big players. 
Now, mm-hmm. I think PSG have been very, very lucky in the last two Champions League game, and I think uh, ineptitude from the opponents have covered up their shortcomings in a big way. Yeah. In the Man City game, it was poor finishing from Man City was the story of the game for me. They should have won that in terms of the chances they created. And here against Leipzig, Leipzig did a lot of good things going forward. But again, as we've seen in the Bundesliga so far under Jesse Marsh, way too open at the back occasionally. And were very much the architects of their own downfall. And it was a deeply, deeply unimpressive win for, for, for PSG. I get what you're saying about individual talent. And it's really in a knockout competition if you got Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar on the pitch, it's a good chance you you might win some games. Yeah, sure. Mm. But the problem for PSG going into the season, we all knew, was Pochettino has to find a way. When we talk about a lot in this country, we talk a lot about how Ronaldo isn't pressing for Manchester United up front. He's got three of them, at least two and a half. Like Mbappe and Messi are not going to do anything off the ball, really. I mean, they never have before, anyway. Uh, normally, you, normally, you've got Cardi to come in and, uh, well, and, and take yeah, up the yeah, pressing yeah, and the hardworking, yeah, the Jamie Mackey of, of the band. Of, <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not exactly. Whereas um, I can't believe it's taken you so long to get Jamie Mackey into OTC. <laughs> whereas, uh, whereas Neymar actually does a little bit more work off the built ball than he gets credit for, uh, which is worth pointing out because you know. But so far, what Pochettino's tried to do in these big games is just stick as many legs as possible into midfield, like Haverati, Gay, and Herrera, like people who can run a lot to compensate from the fact that the guys in front aren't going to run hardly at all. But that, and that, I don't, that's and not I, sustainable. And, and over I think a season, it looks. I think it looks like a mess. Like it's not. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't figured that out at all, and they've been getting away with it uh, b- because of um, failings of their opponents so far. And I, I don't rate them at all. I'm not scratching them off yet, but we th- this halfway stage of uh, the group stages has inspired a lot of response from OTC listeners on Twitter. Gavin says, three from three. Is this Ajax team capable of repeating?" what they did in 2019. Are they capable of going within a whisker of the final this time around? Is that what the I think? I think we should talk about them because I think this was an important win. Or important, they're all important. But in terms of the perception, I think it was a big win. Because I do think it's kind of hard to judge teams in the Dutch League. I mean, it, it is... I find it very, very difficult to watch the Dutch League and the top teams there and say, are you actually good? Or is it just, you know... Because of the just, opposition. Just kind of how it goes. And, you know... They had good wins against Sporting and and and, and Besiktas, but I want to hold my hands up. I, I thought this game was going to go completely the other way. I thought this was be was going to be the game where where Ajax came up against the team that has good attackers, and it was all going to come undone for them. And the, completely the opposite happened. They were really really good and and completely nullified uh, this considerable threat that Dortmund poses. They were much more aggressive. They were pressing really well, and uh, Sebastian Allaire looking tremendous for them. Uh, really really. Impressive. Impressive stuff from my ex. Yeah, they were they were great, and um, I think to add to Gavin's point, I mean, not only three wins from three, goal difference of plus eleven after after those games. I mean, it's it's pretty spectacular um, by any standards. I thought Dortmund were off it. Um, you talked yeah. about how uh, Ajax really pressed hard. Um, I, I thought certainly some of um, Dortmund's more senior players who are coming back from injuries in some cases but quite out of condition mm. I thought and, and that made it a huge difference to to, 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 the, to the way the, the, the game was played they couldn't really get the ball out yes. when that when they when they did get it back 
But uh, I, it was, I, it was yet another so mem- incisive. S- yeah, sorry. Just, I was, was going to flippantly say yet another memorable night for Thomas Munier, uh, for, for Dortmund, who had a, had a weird one again. Well, uh, now, now, now with Munier, last season Munier was very poor. Now we're back to what Munier actually is, which is pretty good attacking fullback and not a very good defensive one yeah so, so I, I think that there are a lot of holes yet yeah, that that right side of Dortmund was really um badly exposed but I, th- I think it's, it's interesting because on paper at least there's there's a few similarities between the two you know a largely young side with Ajax pulled together by a few experienced players it just turns out that at this moment and because they were in stark comparison you'd rather have Daley Blint and Dusan Tadic than you would Mats Hummels and Emre Can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's that's the difference at the moment. Yeah. But I'd, I'd like to see them go deep into the competition. And th- there's certainly a feeling in the Netherlands that they could do that. And, and I think on Dortmund, I think you're absolutely absolutely right about the conditioning because they look physically off it in this game. But, but, but in, in addition to that, I mean, in the Bundesliga, we're eight games in. Only three teams in the entire league have conceded uh, more goals than than Dortmund. And they've gifted like quite a lot of those. It's terrible. They? Yeah, like only Hertha, yeah. uh, obviously Hertha, were greater first, and and Bochum have conceded more goals than them. Like this has to stop. Like mm. they have a lot of stuff going forward. Erling Holland can but... get them out of trouble a lot of times, but 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 honestly, like Marco Rosa needs to look at this. They they can't keep defending like this. I thought your philosophy was to bring things back to bases and explain the mathematics of football. <laughs> in which case, you'd go to Kevin Keegan route as long as you're scoring more than you're conceding what's there not to like <laughs> I just thought I'd leave, I mean, <laughs> leave that to ponder with you for a while but Jack has sent us some correspondence as well and this points to how the mighty have fallen mate do you think we'll see Barcelona playing in the Europa League this season and could they win it <laughs> gosh mate mm. would they want to win it I, I think we could see them playing in the Europa League this season. I still think they might j- just about sneak through in second place behind Bayern. I think again because Bayern are so much better than the rest in this group, it's a case of polarizing and making the rest of it tight. The, the difficulty always is. I think you look at the fixture scheduling sometimes. And um, Benfica, who had that great win in Lisbon on match day two against um, Barcelona, they've drawn the short straw in having. Bayern in match days three and four. Mm. When you have that back to back, it's so easy to, if you're playing the just best get, team in the group, just to get, get tonked in both of those games. Yeah, and, you know, to, you lose your, a bit. Your, your goal yeah. difference takes a massive hit and your confidence is totally yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially where Benfica are in terms of making tentative steps to being better in the Champions League under Jorge Jesus. As for Barcelona winning the Europa League, I'm going to come out straight away and say, no way. I just. They're yeah. that bad, are they? Well, well, I wouldn't say they're that bad. They're just not that good. I like the way you style it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hello, I'm Hazel Hayes. And I'm Sheehan Todd. And welcome to our brand new podcast, We're Not Fucking Historians. It sounds like I'm saying we're not fucking historians. Yeah, we're saying we're not experts. We're not historians ourselves. Not that we're not having sex with historians. No historians getting fucked on this pod. Zero historians getting fucked on this podcast. We are, in fact, your alternative guide to Irish history. Every week we prize open the history books and find a new tale from the Emerald Isle's colourful past. We're exploring Ireland's traditions, its rich heritage and its long, proud history of being invaded by literally anyone with a boat. The Vikings were showing up at the monastery and where's that booty? The earliest booty call. (laughs) It's the booty call you didn't want. 50 Scandinavian Vikings showed up. Or our biggest celeb, St Paddy. He says he prayed up to 100 times a day and sometimes during the night. <laughs> That's what a five-year-old would say. I've prayed 100 times, I swear. Patrick also said he was fastest in his slippers. <laughs> He's a fucking Billy Bullshitter. If, like us, you're the kind of person who's interested in history but not so interested that you'd go read a book about it or listen to actual experts, then this is the show for you. This is history done differently with a couple of facts and plenty of crack. So, join us on our journey through Ireland's past. Search We're Not Fucking Historians on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, we're not, we're fucking, not fucking historians. historians. <laughs> Sorry, I was far too fast there. We're Not Fucking Historians is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. One match that I did see this week. Um, it was in Ligue 1 and I watched it because San Etienne, who I don't know a huge amount about, uh, to be uh, fair, Andy, but I, I, I'd read that this was a kind of like a denouement of the Claude Puel story. And when I watched it, it was I, I felt really sad for him because camera kept focusing. Yeah, he's never managed him. your club, has he? Well, he must have some talent. Whispering Claude. Yeah, he does. Well, yeah, yeah. But, it's always very quiet in but, interviews. But hey. the, the thing is, given all the <laughs> given true. all the different teams that he is, uh, Andy has gone completely. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you've not noticed this before, Andy. What's what's screen... speaks like this when he does the post match interviews? You see, I, I'm just quiet. I'm just thinking, what's what's French for radio too? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, Sorry, what's Don, French I completely for interrupt grass. you there. Yeah, no whispering grass. Don't tell the trees whatever you do, Claude. But <laughs> it does seem as if we are seeing the unravelling of a once decent manager. He just didn't look as if he knew what to do. Yeah, that's right. They they, they lost uh, 5-1 at, at, at Strasbourg, didn't they, in that game that you watched last weekend. Um, Strasbourg are, are better than, I, I think, um, some people would give them credit for. Um, they've signed Kevin Gamero, their former striker this summer, and he's, he's going to add a bit of punch to them, I think, going over over the length of the season. And they've got a, a promising young coach in, in, in Julian Stefan. But um, St Etienne are a mess. And I, I think we'll, we'll come to Puel, but we've got to start on why this is such a big deal, I, I think, because um, this is a club that is a historic, a mythic club, as they would put it in France really without match um you can't put um PSG or even Marseille I would say on the same level as them in terms of 
driving the French passion for football in the in, in the in the first place because it was what they did in the European Cup in the sixties and seventies. Of course, famously getting to the seventy six European Cup final where they lost out narrowly to to, to Bayern Munich, um, hitting the woodwork a couple of times. Jacques Santini was one of those who, who, who hit the woodwork when when he was playing for them, and you know uh, players like uh, Rivelli, um Dominic Rochto, the the, the 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 Green Angel, that they were they were fantastic, and they really captured the imagination of French football fans. Well, like, would you compare them to maybe for a team that listeners might recognise Aston Villa because they had that moment? Maybe I guess I guess maybe. I, I, I suppose maybe maybe Nottingham Forest would would, okay, would, yeah, would, perhaps, would be a, yeah. would be another shout, or even though they didn't get to that European Cup in the end, Saint Etienne, or, or or maybe maybe Liverpool, I suppose, in in terms of um, coming close to actually dominating, you could probably compare them to Borussia Mönchengladbach of the late seventies as, as as well, when when Jupp Heynckes was there banging in the goals. But I, I think, that, uh, but bear in mind when they got to the final, they. Um, released a single one of their supporters um re- released a single um called Allez l'hiver mm-hmm. which is a song that's still commonly sung there it was uh How's it, go? it was a number one um we'll 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 get tom to mix it in <laughs> <laughs> look every, every, everyone knows i lived in leon you're not you're not going to get me singing a Sertian song like it's, it's just it's just not happening but that is an excellent try uh, i mean this was it was a bit like wet 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 with love is all around you know top of the charts for 16 weeks it was inescapable in the summer of 1976 you remembered and, and so like basic, basically um, they have a special place in the hearts of French football culture. Mm. And um, when they're doing well, is a big deal. When the bottom's falling out of it, it's a big deal as, as, as well. But where they are at the moment, they are bottom of the table with no wins, which is exactly where they were when Puel took over. Mm. And funnily enough, just as he got off to a great start by beating Lyon, his old club, in his first game in charge... The draw that they got with Lyon with a, a late Wabi Kasri penalty, which was a deserved draw, they, they played really well in the second half of that. Um, uh, it's, it's, it kind of saved him at a point where it shouldn't really have saved him. Mm. It's the only game they haven't, that draw is the only game they haven't lost in the last seven in the league. They've lost the other six. Um, and yeah, the, the, the word denouement was definitely forefront in my mind as well. They've got, uh, I think, a few common Puel difficulties. In that, just like when he was at Lyon, um, he's got too much power and not enough football brains, certainly in the boardroom, challenging him. So he's been able to get his own way and not have critical feedback enough, I would suggest. Um, the other difficulty he's had is falling out with senior players. Just just looking at the squad here and the team they had out against Strasbourg, just looked like going forward, certainly... You are quite reliant on Riyad Boudibou and Wabi Kazri, which are maybe not the players you want to rely on. I mean, there are players who are capable of doing great things, but are, you know, pretty inconsistent throughout their careers. Well, I, th- I think the issue with both of those last, and we know, they've, as you say, they've got talent on their day. And I think talent that is quite commensurate with where St Etienne are in, in, mm-hmm. in financial terms. But when we talk about Pearl's difficulty on a personal level, he's fallen out with both of those players and it's tried crazy. to tried to get rid of them both, mm. only to then have to ask them back when it's all gone wrong. 
which is a huge That's problem. Crazy, isn't it? They they haven't had anyone who can score goals I think that's been a huge problem I mean we, we were talking you were talking on the WhatsApp about inviting your mate uh, Alex Sutherland back the other day weren't you <laughs> scorer of a Derby thought, winner my close personal but friend is, isn't there a real problem in defence though when you lose 5-1 um, you've got problems defensively, haven't you? Yeah, um, and yeah, they, they had a very bad day at the office as as far as that was concerned. But I think sometimes with these coaches who've got large power, and we've seen it going back to George Jesus at Benfica a little bit in the past, coaches who are very good at developing and selling players, they get this idea that they're omnipotent. And especially, I think, when you haven't got someone to challenge you. He's been there before with, Puel, with Southampton, though, hasn't he? He's been there before, exactly yeah, that situation, well, well, I think. He almost ruined Leon financially when cool. when he was he was given control over the transfer budget there. I mean, funnily enough, that actually worked for them in a weird roundabout way because getting themselves into a position where they couldn't afford to buy anyone, it made them develop that generation of Lacazette, Fekir, mm. Toliso, Umtiti. Mm. So, I mean, you're never going to say like losing tens of millions is a good thing for a club, but I guess that is something that St Etienne would never admit to aiming to copy Lyon. But, you know, I guess that's what they will hope under their new coach, whenever the new coach does arrive, that will be maybe their next step. We've got loads of tweets, gentlemen. Thank you all, those of you who take time to communicate over the course of the week. Just to remind you that if you want to tweet us, um, get in touch at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adibayo, at Andy Brassel, or at Lars Severston. Now, this from Nathan. Uh, with all the talk, and it's so pleasing to have the oracle of Scandinavian football with us <laughs> this week. Um, as you know, Andy. Um, Why, is Solskjaer joining us? Yes, Solskjaer's joining us because he's already, well, Solskjaer and the guys of Lars Severson. So look on his face. Before, before this podcast, <laughs> I mean, Norwegian newspapers were going to go Larsa, easy on you since you've been travelling since 2am in the morning. The, the, the biggest Norwegian paper was calling Lars up to ask him about uh, Don't if be saying that. His opinion about what should happen happen to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. So we want your opinion about this. This is from Nathan Lash. Mm. With all the talk about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer not being a good enough coach tactically for Man United, I'm interested to know how he's viewed across Europe. Is he seen as a top manager or a man who's very lucky to be in the job that he's got? I think he's seen as a club man first and foremost, uh, which is not that uncommon if you look across uh, across the continent. There are many clubs around who you know see the sort of having a bond with the club and understanding the way things go and and having that link as being a key criteria really when they're considering managers. I mean, just look at the shortlist anytime the Barcelona job comes up. Uh, some of those are names that are seen as natural candidates for Barcelona and not necessarily top managers in in world football. And 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 my impression is they seen very much as someone who's in that vein but united. But I think the sort of the criticisms of him from a tactical standpoint are, are widespread because United look chaotic. But do you agree that he's out of his depth? 
I'm not wild about sitting in a recording studio in London talking about how the coach of Man United is out of his depth at, at his job. Like there's, there's something about that that doesn't sit right with me. Uh, I think he has done a, a, a more than passable job guiding them sort of back in a good direction after the sort of toxic mess of the late Mourinho stage. But but I do wonder again if I mean he's been there almost three years now and they still look very chaotic. There doesn't seem to be a very clear plan. That would concern me, to put it that way. I think that criticism is, is warranted. And you do wonder if there is a ceiling to how far he can take them. Stephen tweets us to say, I'm genuinely interested in what the continental opinion of the current crop of exciting young English players, uh, such as Mason Greenwood, Phil Foden and Mason Mount, are or is amongst uh, European commentators. Is it only English-based media hype or are fans of big European clubs looking on enviously some recruitment departments are there's there's no doubt about that and um you know Jaden Sancho for example a- arriving in Dortmund was the upshot of a lot of german clubs looking at english academies and thinking if you can't get in the first team we'll take you mm-hmm. and they would have liked to take more and you know we saw that not just with uh, jaden sancho but with reese oxford who is you know, not progressed in the way that people want him to. And he's, he's getting some games at Augsburg now, which is is, is good for him. But um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the fact that um, he ended up coming to Germany in the, in, in the, in, in the first place was a, a strong indicator of a lot of sporting directors led by Max Erbel at um, Borussia Mönchengladbach saying, We've we've got to make the most of the fact that these young English academy players can't get into the Premier League teams. Now, it's interesting that Stephen brings up Phil Foden because there was a suggestion that he could follow um, Sancho to to Dortmund on on loan at one point. Um, but I think the fact that Guardiola a was very piqued that um, Sancho chose to go to um, Dortmund. Um, just he, he couldn't understand it at all and B very insistent on the way in which he wanted to shape the future of Phil Foden the way he put his foot down about him going on loan anywhere else mm-hmm. uh, and, and said you're best here developing with me with us and it's it's totally worked for Phil Foden and now you're seeing like post Frank Lampard and what whatever your views on Frank Lampard's overall job at Chelsea which turned out to be two different jobs um, him changing the sporting politic at Chelsea and getting to a point where now Trevor Chalaber can come back from a, a, a great season on loan at Lorient and get into one of the best Premier League teams that has changed things so yeah there is a bit of envy whereas before there was a sense of opportunity now there is a sense of yeah that ship's probably sailed for these clubs who've got less money than Premier League teams and finally, this week, uh, of course, I have to ask you for your games of the week. Uh, nominations, please. And don't forget, do try and tie your game of the week to a delicious uh, meal as well. Uh, that might link itself to the game or otherwise. Lars, do you want to kick off? Well, well, I'm going with the Glasgow, uh, which, I, which I feel like we always kind of have to when it's on. But also just because it is interesting currently, um, 
I would imagine. Say Barcelona going into this as quite big underdogs, really. Mm. Uh, Real Madrid in much better <laughs> it's form. Crazy, isn't yeah, it? but Real Madrid in, in, in much better form, looking a much more accomplished team. Um, having said that, they did lose Espanyol before the international break. But, but you know, looked very good against Shakhtar. Vinicius Jr. doing things. Karim Benzema playing the best football of his career. Um, things are really looking good for them. But I, I'm fine now. And this is maybe sort of me revealing my own idiosyncrasies. I find myself almost more engaged with Barcelona than I have been in a while, because in the sporting sense, because I'm really intrigued to see how this team will get on. Because they are now this sort of strange mix of some senior players who are still there, who have been criticised for for maybe being past it or whatever. You have some signings who have been criticised for maybe not being good enough to to be there, and and you have a crop of youngsters who look super exciting. But but theoretically, it's probably a little bit too soon for them. So there's a lot of players in there who are sort of maybe suboptimal for, for different reasons, who all now are in a situation where they are just going to have to pull together and try to make the best of this. Now, God bless him, Ronald Coleman has done his best to try to build down expectations and insisting that they're a bit rubbish. But I'm not sure they are actually that rubbish. I think when everyone's fit, um, which they're not at the moment, Pedri might miss this game, but I think there is a good 11 here and there's a good team here. And obviously they don't have a lot of time to figure it out and trial by fire here a little bit against a strong Real Madrid team. But so, I'll be watching this very closely. But but what will you be eating while you're watching it? That's, that's what the people want to know. Exactly. There's got to be some seafood since it's in Barcelona. We yeah, go okay. down maybe some cod of some description. Fish and chips, in other words. It's not quite the same, Gordon, <laughs> is it? I was surprised to hear that you did not eat seafood on your journeys, Andy. If you if you're going to put, I mean, I, I sorry, I'm making such a big deal out of this. I think it's because of COVID. It's been such a long time. This idea that someone can wake up in one city and and get on some sort of magical metal device and travel to to another. We haven't done it for so long. Having said that, I'm not quite sure I've woken up yet. Uh, well, 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 you know, you say. I mean, you, you may have been traveling since since four in the morning, but, but I have also travelled from from Northwest London. Okay. So you have travelled at 38,000 feet at 450 knots, whereas I have taken the overground. And who's to say which one of us has been through the bigger ordeal this morning? This is not a travel podcast. It's not for me to say. However, yet, (laughs) that's a threat. So, Andy, and remember your own words. What listeners want to know is the food that goes with your choice. Oh, that's coming. That's coming. So give give it time. I I mean, look, there are so many good games this weekend. El Clasico is a don't miss uh, you've got Ajax PSV um, you've got uh, Inter versus Juventus Derby d'Italia I'm going to go for another one in um, Italy and because I'm considerate to the listeners I'm going to go for something that's on Sunday tea time it kicks oh. off at uh, 5pm between Roma and Napoli now ever since um, they were video linked after a game a couple of weeks ago Mourinho and Spalletti there's been a little interesting little feeling between them um, where Mourinho said to him, well, yeah, maestro, don't, don't keep winning all your games. Uh, we, we, we don't, we don't want to see that. And uh, Spalletti was holding it all in and not rising to the bait, but clearly Mourinho has a little dig for people who he thinks were a threat. That's, that's what he does. Now, um, Roma are fairly unpredictable. They've been quite entertaining so far not been convinced by them against top opposition, although they should have got something out of their game at Juventus last week. Napoli, of course, have won eight out of eight. So they go there um, trying to continue this. The fact that 
Spalletti's going back to his old club as well is a, another angle to it. So I say enjoy the subplots, enjoy the football because they're two very entertaining teams and enjoy a calzone. Because that, of course, <laughs> is is what attracted Carlo Ancelotti, who has connections to both clubs, to Napoli in the first place. Mourinho, of course, currently in Norway, getting ready to face Buda Glimt in the Europa Conference. Yeah. Uh, Will he be having a pizza on the train back again? You, 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 I mean, that would be a very long train. If he <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't make the game. Uh, but, but he's been, it's, it's currently something like minus one degrees up there. And uh, he was... Uh, he, he was out uh, taking selfies and signing autograph with with some local fans. You know, he's he's put he's been on his best behaviour in Norway so far. The special one. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 